Next up on Talk Zone is Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva. Are you concerned about your job? Concerned about losing it? Concerned about not having the tools needed to reinvent your career or to reposition yourself in the workplace? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, or even if you just want to be a part of the workplace improvement revolution, then join the conversation right now on Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva. Now, here are your hosts, Charlie and Eva. I just like to hear the jingle a little bit. The music never gets old. It never gets old. Welcome, everyone. It is Monday, 2-1-1-6. Another edition of Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva. E. Hope everybody is doing well. Are you? I I am. I am well. It was a little Uh, iffy over the weekend, but we're good now, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, (laughs) we're hanging in there. January is history. For all you it history is. buffs, January is now history. Yes, it is. Um, you know, we're marching into spring. This is a leap We're year. marching into spring, and we're caucusing in Iowa. Well, we're in meaning as Americans, or Iowans. Iowans right. are caucusing. Yeah. Um, I don't like to say that word. Caucus? Yeah. You don't like caucus? I don't like that word. So I don't you're from caucus? It's an annoying word. <laughs> um, so... The mission of Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva is to use all of our collaborative skills to make a difference in the workplace, in your life, and also in the world. Well, no, if you make a difference in those two places, you'll hit the world. Okay. Well, right. whatever. Yeah. So um, so that's the thing, right? I mean, this is we're really proud of uh, our content. We're proud of our guests. I'm going to – we have – a Someone coming on in a few minutes, I'm going to hold up the book 2039. Um, uh, it's going to be a great show. Um, and I think it's perfect for what's going on in Iowa. Uh, it really is. The timing uh, works out really cool. I mean, you, you know. This I would is- want to say that we can take credit for that timing, but I don't think we really can. <laughs> no. Um, there's a lot of chaos out there. We need to keep the blinders on somehow and continue to move forward because we're still accountable for what we do. And I think you should talk a little bit about what's going on tomorrow evening. Tomorrow evening, Tuesday and Wednesday, 8 p.m. Eastern, we have a free webinar, which is specific to agile training, which is a uh, project management type methodology. Um, We encourage Everybody, certainly that's part of the IT field, um, and anybody in the project management business to please listen in. It's, um, you know, we're trying to push that shared leadership model, right? Our companies need us now more than ever. We're getting away from the top down hierarchy. We're moving from time entered project management and towards more of a value-based delivery based on trust. Huge difference, yes. Yes. Um, You kind of slid in that based on trust, but that's really the biggest thing. Right. Right. Um, So that everybody can... But that's where the shared leadership comes in, right? Everybody has an equal part, so Mm -hmm. um, it's really cool. Uh, Maybe we can ask our guest if that model fits down the road. 
Um, so, okay. So hold on. So this is a really cool show because, uh, we have a really creative talent, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, different than all of our other guests. It is different. Yeah. And, it is um, different. I'm just going to say, uh, you know, I'm a little over my head, so we're going to go slow, but if you take the book 1984, which we're all familiar with, Think of what we're going to discuss today. I'm going to hold it up to the camera, uh, 2039, which is a really cool book. In the not-too-distant future. In the not-too-distant future from a really cool guy. And I would love to introduce our special guest today, Martin Shapiro. Martin, are you with us? I certainly am, uh, Charlie, Eva. I'm very pleased to be here this afternoon. Hey, Martin, thanks. Um Welcome and, uh, you know, thanks for I, I being patient. Me, I see you build me as a futurist, which of course I also describe myself. But I want to make it clear that it's not clairvoyance. Right. I don't, <laughs> I don't pretend to be clairvoyant. Uh, right. My, my goal is to extrapolate and look and be logical and use my common sense about what is happening today, what is ha- what history tells us about what might happen in the future, and then make the extrapolation into the society that I describe in 2039, which is really the backdrop for a story of intrigue and suspense of a 70-year-old couple that are needing or wanting to escape from America. Interesting. Um, no, I, I, and Martin, please, you know, Cut me off and fill in the blanks if I if I go off and I agree. I never um, thought of you as a clairvoyant. Um, if I did, I would I would ask um, who's going to win the eighth at Belmont. <laughs> um, no, you should ask me who's going to win the uh, caucuses. The caucus, uh, yeah. today in Iowa. <laughs> um, but but here's the thing, right? This and and I, I I want and we want to get into it, but I want to just say when we met, Martin, I right. knew in I don't know less than a minute that you are one complicated, intelligent person. <laughs> and when I look at this book, okay, here's my take. My take is that this can help drive your Voting, your economy, your um, politics, your the way you live, because it is based on common sense. Just about everything in this book is very can very easily happen, right? Mm -hmm. Based on the current world that we're in today. I agree. I only want to say that the reviews that have come to me on Amazon for both the first edition and the second edition, all sort of recognize that my projections are possible. 
not necessarily probable, all of them. But we'll talk about some of them. We can yeah, talk so about, I, uh, first tell we us how we can get this book. Uh, is through Amazon? Well, is that... way, yeah. Uh, I can be reached at my email address, which is mshapiro2039 at aol.com. And I can also be found on Huffington Post. Hmm. Uh, when you go to the Huffington Post opening page, there's a little box at the there's a little search box at the top. And if one of the listeners or yourselves want to type in Martin Shapiro, you will immediately go to my page and the dozen or so posts that I've put on in the last year, many of which elaborate or reflect the ideas in this story. Uh, the book itself, the book itself is exclusively on Amazon. I am, uh, this is my fifth novel. There are four active books. Uh, on that, and you go to Amazon.com and you punch in 2039. Clever, right? And that and that's all you need. Uh, my, I have an author's page there as well, so when people want my website, I sort of direct them to the Amazon page of the book, and I tell them to click on my name, which is highlighted in blue, and you'll come up with my picture and my bio and a little description, pictures of and a little description of each of the books that I have active with them now. Okay, so guys, you got to go to Amazon. You can key in 2039. It'll take you from there. You can look up on Huffington Post, Martin Shapiro. I mean, Martin, I don't know how you have a minute's rest because one of the things from this book is I just want to talk to you about it for hours and hours and hours. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's really interesting. And the, the, the other thing that I wanted to say is, um, not everything is good, right? I mean, uh, you know, what the common sense and your writing of 2039 isn't necessarily um, a good idea that that happens. Like I'm looking at some of the things that we'll discuss in a second, but we may not want them to happen, right? So maybe right. we, this book we, could be a call to action. For a period of time into the late 2020s, we sort of decline, in my opinion, we sort of decline and morph into sort of a fascist, a democratic fascist state. We have to find an engine of, uh, we have to come up with a new engine for our economy and the, an incident happens and Washington takes advantage of it. Mm, I want to say at the outset that my book is not political. I'm not trying to advance any 
type of political thought. Personally, I could be a liberal Republican or a conservative Democrat. I mean, that's... Oh, come on, make a stand. Make a stand already. <laughs> no, just that's, just I, that's just how I straddle the line. The book show... The book has some instances that I think the liberals will be pleased with. I think Bernie mm. Sanders will be pleased with uh, the fact that uh, the United States nationalizes the defense industry in a capitalistic way. And there will be others that will be pleased to know that the solution to the mess that Obamacare is today is, again, for the government to acquire all the health care companies in America, either through a tender offer on the stock market or private negotiations, in order to make the system a single-payer system. Um, and i got to tell you, um, and you're really explaining things up front really Correct, of course, because I get that same takeaway when I look at the book and when I read the book. It did not come off as politically biased to me. So good job on that, by the way. Well, um, I comment in the early part of the book, um, you know, this couple is trying to, is wants to leave America. And too many people were trying to leave America and take their assets with them. We've had that case cases like that already come up we see uh, mark zuckerberg wanting to right. leave the country and various others and uh you know the united states is uh imposing penalties and the penalties will only get worse as more people perhaps want to get out as the current type the current level of thinking is to, you know, move more heavily tax the affluent and uh, relieve the middle class. Um, so, so uh, you know, in the course of that, the United States, impl- it, it, you know, imp- uh, <laughs> the United States uh, puts in that to leave the country, you need an exit permit. Aye, aye, aye. Um, you can't wait, get out. Hold on. Um, uh, we have to take our first break, but I just want to tell everyone again real quick before we take a break. 2039, Amazon.com, it's riveting, okay? And we're going to get into it a little more. I know, uh, Eva, we were talking earlier. I have a part of it that I am interested in talking about when we come back, but, you know, we'll see where it goes. Yeah. So, Marty, please... Stay with us. We'll be right back uh, with more um, 2039. Stay with us. CARE Certification in the Workplace is the award-winning shared leadership training seminar that will revolutionize your career and position you as the go-to person in your organization, regardless of your job description. CARE is the acronym for Courage to Take Action Relevant to Everyone. This means your new workplace mission is to deliver results for the good of the company, but not at the expense of others. 
Up until now, CARE certification was only available through company-sponsored seminars. But now you can become CARE certified in the workplace on your own time. Order Module 1 today and begin the transformation. There's unlimited opportunity in the workplace today, provided you have the right strategy. Becoming CARE certified is the right strategy. For more information and to order, go to charliespeaking.com. That's charliespeaking.com. And now, let's return to Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva on TalkZone.com. Well, we've got so much to talk about, right? Uh, hours just not I love that. I know, I know. Thanks um, for staying with us, everyone. This is Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva, and our guest today is author Martin Shapiro. He's the author of 2039, and in a nutshell, the book is about a Connecticut couple in their early 70s that try to escape America to seek medical help denied them by the Medicare system. So that's just kind of like a little general overview. And you can get the book on Amazon.com. It's exclusive on Amazon. And to learn more about Martin and to read his blogs, you can go to the Huffington Post and search on Martin Shapiro. You can also reach out to him directly at M Shapiro, S-H-A-P-I-R-O, 2039 at AOL.com. So, um, Martin, I just wanted to take a step back for a second and say, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and what led you to then write this book? Because this is not your first book, and you've done a lot of in-depth study into history, and you have a pretty amazing background. So I think it would be great if you could share that with us. Well, I'd be happy to. Um, I grew up and went to a public high school, was fortunate to... uh, you know, the Sputnik went up in 1956. Yep. And I was in high school. Yeah, Mickey Mantle won the Triple Crown that year. Say it again? Mickey Mantle won the Triple Crown that year. <laughs> anyway, I saluted the flag. I was pretty good in math and science, and I said, I'm going to go be an engineer. And so I went to Rensselaer Polytech. Mm. And in four years, I got... I, I earned a engineering degree in mechanical engineering and metallurgy with some nuclear energy um, courses that I added. Wait, Martin, real quick, did you did did Sputnik uh, inspire you to go in that direction? The concerns around it? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it was you know we were in the Cold War. Yeah, mm-hmm. we were in the Cold yeah. War and. All of a sudden, you know, Russia was ahead of us. We yeah. we had the Vanguard rocket, and I think the first attempt it the didn't get off the something? ground. You remember, yeah. it, you know, there was a lot of television, and it just sort of, you know, it sputtered and fell. Aye. And then uh, all of a sudden, the Soviets had put up the Sputnik, and we, uh, you know, I felt very American and nationalistic and said, I like doing this. My father was in sort of the retail business. I didn't want to go do that. I never thought about some other possible careers. And that's what I went off to do. As a matter of fact, when I graduated as an engineer, my best offer was from IBM to go into Mm -hmm. sales. Into They have a name for it, but I can't think of it at the moment. And I said, holy smokes, I just studied to be an engineer. I want to know if I are one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so 
So I took a, I took a lesser position, well, a lesser money, with Texas Instruments as mm. a uh, as a, a process engineer in metallurgical products. Jeez, and wow. I spent two years. I spent two years there. It was a very good two years. And I have to tell you that my wife Millie and I were married at the, you know, at that time. Mm. So we got married very young. We're together now 54 years in terms of marriage. Mm. And uh, uh, after a couple years, I'm now 22. I'm now 24, and you know. You know how when you went to grammar school, it seems so long between September and the summer vacation? <laughs> yes. And then you go to high school, it sort of speeds up Yeah. because there's different activities. And then you go to college and, you, you know, a semester, a break, a semester, a break, and, it, it, you know, life starts to really move along. Mm-hmm. And if you take a course that you don't like or don't do well in, there's the finality to the final, good, mm. bad, or indifferent. You never have to look at that subject again. Right. But then you go, you know, you step off into real life. Mm. <laughs> and you don't have uh, that sort of uh, routine uh, multiple times during a year when you're graded or you get, uh, you know, slapped down or you get accolades Mm. and you're now grinding it out day after day. And so after two years at Texas Instruments, I could see that. I I, I was trying to envision, I'm now 25, I'm trying to envision if I could make 40 more years of that. (laughs) That's so true. (laughs) Yeah. So um, a colleague of mine who was nearby was uh, talking about going to the Harvard Business School, and he convinced me that I should take the entrance exam. Uh, you know, it's like an SAT, mm-hmm. and so we did. And you know, as as things would happen, I was accepted and he was not. Mm-hmm. Although he ended up later at the Yale. School of Hospital Management and has had a very successful career there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, coming out of the business school, I, I was very, I, I was very optimistic. I took a look and said, these are supposed to be the best and the brightest. You know, Harvard only gets the best and the brightest. And I looked around and half of them, I thought, didn't deserve to be there. Mm, I yeah. listened to their analysis of cases. I said, hey, I can compete with these guys. You are a unique person. Mm-hmm. That's why. That's you, you, you're, you can do, compete with anyone. I get, I get the feeling. Well, right? it, and, and anyway, so there's a consequence. I, I was recruited by a small venture capital company. They didn't call them then. And we bought a, uh, a small, manufacturing company from an estate that I built into a multi-plant company with a 40% market share for the tooling we made. <laughs> and ultimately, we we're supposed to have a five-year plan that came and in, turned into 25 years. And the independent investors, uh, 
you know, at different times wanted to be bought out. So eventually I was the majority stockholder. Wow. And we successfully sold it in the early 90s. So here I was in my early 50s. I worked out my contract and I said, okay, what do I do from here? And at that particular time, I began to get very involved in civic and religious, you know, nonprofits uh, organizations. I was a I was a director of United Way for nine years, three terms of three years, which was all he allowed. I was a director of our local hospital for 12 years, again, four terms of three years. I was invited to be on the board of a local bank that was later acquired, and I end up on the board of a much larger bank. I was invited to be on the board of a property casualty company. And I want to say that my experience at the bank and at the property casualty company, and also later I also became a, a, uh, a director of HealthNet of Connecticut, which was the second largest health care insurer in the state of Connecticut. Uh, all of these positions, quite different from my manufacturing company, they all have long-term horizons. You can't stop on a dime and close or do something. You have contracts with your mm. insureds. And so that you're always having to look over the horizon. You have to take a long-time view. You've got to say, what's this going to look like five years from now or seven years from now? How did this look five or ten years ago? And so that's where I sort of came uh, Beginning in the early 2000s, uh, at the, in the middle of the 90s, instantly, we discovered Chautauqua, the Chautauqua Institution mm. in upstate New York. Are you familiar with it? I'm not. No. No? Well, it's been around for about 140 years. It has an amphitheater. It has a resident symphony orchestra, ballet company, theater company, uh, opera company, it has classes. It has. It was really. It was uh, originally a camp for training Methodist Sunday school teachers. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. automobile money from Ohio that nice. started it. Uh, we've seen Hillary Clinton there, and Al Gore there, and Supreme Court justices there. Teddy Roosevelt in 1937 made his famous. Not Teddy, uh, Franklin Roosevelt, in 1937, made his famous I Hate War speech from the mm. stage of the amphitheater. Mm. I mean, it's, it's amazing the things that have taken place there. There are homes on the site, and there's, you know, hotels and boarding houses, and uh, they do a lot for student, you know, apprentice. Uh, opera singers and apprentice musicians, and uh, it's a it's a very vibrant place. But anyway, they have a writer center. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, here we go. So you so you I didn't write. So to, it wasn't until after you left your position and and you sold the company, you didn't even start writing until your fifties. Well, no, that's not exactly true, Eva. Because you know, during my industrial career, I wrote for the media. For the industry press, okay. I would write technical articles. I would write business articles. 
I was in I was invited at least annually or biannually to make a presentation to a technical seminar or a business convention on behalf of the industry. Mm. Okay. So, so uh, you know, I could put a couple of words on paper. <laughs> I, I would agree. But still, I but, mean, it, but it was it was really it was nonfiction, not fiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which oh, is very no, different. No, that. But again, I can tell you once again, if you want to go into my history, that is that in the seventies, I wrote, I read Herman Woke's *The Winds of War*, mm-hmm. and I thought him a genius. How he invented that fictional family of five, who were always in the right place at the right time for him to tell the story of the mm-hmm. Second World War. And I remember thinking then, someone could do this with a biblical story. Why can't I write the story of Noah's neighbor? Oh, that's interesting. Well, I'm going to have to stop <laughs> you for just one second, Martin, because we right. have to take our second break. I'm going to hold the book up again to the camera, 2039, everyone, Amazon.com. And after we come back from the break, we'll continue our conversation. So stay with us, everyone. This is Corporate Talk with Charlie Aniva, and our guest, Martin Shapiro, will be right back. Charlie Labosco is an author, speaker, and trainer with over 40 years' experience in the corporate workplace. Contact Charlie today to interact, influence, and inspire others in your organization. Whether it's a one-hour keynote presentation or a five-day training seminar, Charlie is available to speak on many topics, including making a difference in the workplace, even as one person, building shared leadership teams, and his signature award-winning seminar, Care Certification in the Workplace. Charlie speaking at your organization will make a difference on day one. For more information and to book Charlie, go to charliespeaking.com. That's charliespeaking.com. Let's get back to Charlie and Eva for more corporate talk on TalkZone. Okay, so welcome back, everyone. And we are uh, speaking with author Martin Shapiro, his latest book, 2039 is available on Amazon.com. And in the previous segment, Martin was sharing with us his um, background, corporate upbringing, basically some education, Harvard Business School. And um, my takeaway, Martin, is that you were observing everything all the while, right? That's where all of all of that um, common sense was kind of swimming around in there um, and it all kind of comes out I think in this book because it's kind of like what you said you know uh, create the story why can't someone create a story like say winds of war about something else but you applied all of your logic and common sense of the real world in it to make it so realistic it's unbelievable I mean this is a phenomenal book I'm telling everyone um <laughs> So, can, can I just let's, yeah, let's tack, can we tackle just a couple of very small issues, but they're issues in America today and around yeah, the world. Yeah, what I was going to say, the first thing, and I'm jumping up and down on this, is um, we you know we need to raise money, right? And I think we joked when we met, we said just print it, we print it, just print it. But 
um, to your point, let's monetize the military. And um, you make a reference of the Hessians, which was, ay, 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 that's what, I guess. Mercenaries. Yeah, that's what the Germans did. In- Our army become mercenaries. Yeah. And, and, and let me tell you how it comes about. And I'm revealing something, you know, in the book that people should read and discover. So sometime in the future, maybe in 2020, 2021, Kim Jong-un, mm. the boy king mm-hmm. of North Korea, he lobs a couple missiles into South Korea, and he hits the top of a mountain near Pusan in the south, near Seoul in the north, and the South Koreans go ape, (laughs) and they scream to the United States, come, please, send more men, send more ships, send more airplanes, and the administration is ready to go. When all of a sudden the Congress says, hey, slow down, slow down. We've been protecting you for 75 years. you become a wealthy nation. Mm. We can't send more unless you come up with so many billion a year. And mm. nobody could believe it, but the South Koreans agreed. So that broke the ice. Mm. And King Kim Jong-un Got, you know, we sent the material. There was never a war. He pulled back. And now we said, well, why are we protecting Japan? They're a wealthy country, too. Why can't they ante up? What about the Philippines? What about all these co- countries that surround the South China Sea that want their share of the gas that's under there? And and then in order to in order to maintain the the toughest military, they said, why should private shareholders own General Dynamics, Lockheed Martin, Raytheon? These are public companies, very, you know, very successful. They only do government contracts, most, you know, for, primarily for the military. And you know, their executives are paid extraordinary pay. Mm. There's profits at the end of a contract that get distributed to shareholders. So someone says, you know, every American should be a shareholder of Raytheon and, and General Dynamics. And so again, the Treasury goes on to the stock market and makes a tender offer at a 25 or 30% premium. And they buy, they create a new, they create a new cabinet position, which is the defense industry cabinet. And they buy up these major and even some minor industry. Where do they get the money? Hey, we print it. That's all we have to do is we have to print it. Uh, that, and, the, again, and, the share, and the existing shareholders are getting, you know, all the stakeholders seem happy. And then once the government takes it over, we're going to assume that these are not, you know, stupid bureaucrats, that they, they then bring in officers, military officers from the various services, 
that have used up their active duty time to become the CEOs and the COOs and the CFOs of these companies. And they don't pay the extravagant salaries. And they don't give them the golden parachutes. And they provide, you know, more compensation to the worker who is actually doing the work. And they ground their corporate fleet of aircraft. And so if there's a surplus in a contract, it goes back to the Treasury and all the shareholders. And, and what this does is we now, you know, here we have now a military that is being paid for. We're having trillions of, you know, billions yep. and trillions of dollars coming in. And uh, we also now control the Defense Department. So, I mean, that's a little socialistic. Yes. But they did it in a capitalistic way. They yes. Uh, unlike, unlike, let's say, Nasser in 1952 nationalizing the Suez Canal and not intending to pay Britain or France any money for what they invested. Yeah, it's sort and, of like... And once, um, the, and once so, the United States, you know, has done that in Asia, they look to Europe. And they say mm-hmm. to Germany, listen, you're very successful. And these other countries, if you want our bases and our airplanes and our men on your soil, you're going to have to do the same. You've got to pay their costs and give the American taxpayer profit. So you're, you're, you're saying basically a global workforce of mercenaries paid for by the global um uh, Damsel in distress, basically, right? <laughs> Whoever, if they need our protection, who are they getting protection from? They're probably getting protection from the Russians and from the Chinese. Mm. Certainly in Asia, it's Chinese that we worry about being the aggressor. We see what they're doing now with, you know, building uh, uh, islands out of uh, reefs in the sea, in the, in the yeah. South China Sea. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay? Yeah. And then... Once again, are we? Do you believe? Is, do, the, do your listeners believe that the United States is going to become energy self-sufficient? I think um, we've all been prepared that we will. And and so what? What happens then? Well, what happens then is uh, if we don't. First of all, the two things have to happen. One is that right now we're probably energy self-sufficient if you just look at the big numbers against the big numbers, but we don't have the energy in the right places geographically. Mm. We need the pipelines to get the Mm -hmm. gas up to the northeast and and so on. But when we no longer have to import oil or products from any place, and especially – the Middle East, especially Saudi Arabia. Is Saudi Arabia going to stop pumping oil? No. I don't think so. No. Uh, and we know who's going to step up. I mean, in 2014, the United States imported from Saudi Arabia about 3.2 million barrels of oil a day from Saudi Arabia. But guess what? For the first time, 
China imported 3.6 million gallons. China's taking more oil out of Saudi Arabia than we are now. It's interesting, Martin, the, um, the research, I can tell there was a lot of research. The, uh, I can't imagine what you think about all day long. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Um, well, it's so what I read. It's what I read, Charlie. You know, there's an underground press on mm-hmm. Wall Street. There's an underground newsletter press that never gets to the mainstream. It's part of Newsmax. I mean, it's, they're not difficult to find there. You know, if you have any interest in stock investing and you go and you poke something on Google, the next thing you know, you're going to be, you know, they're going to be sending you promos for these things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we find... We find the stocks before the stock mm. finds them. Mm-hmm. And you'd be surprised that often they're very early. Like in my book, there's two things that you haven't read about either in any of the things that you know I've supplied to the press yet. And that is the material called graphene, G-R-A-P-H-E-N-E. Graphene has uh, been invented. It's a single atom lattice of carbon that is more conductive than copper. It is clear. It is flexible. It is stronger than steel. And it will be a material that will change. You know, there's a lot of engineering and research that still needs to be done to get it to make a large enough piece of it, you know, what good is a two and a half by two and a half inch piece of it that you can only make in a laboratory, mm-hmm. all right? And the second thing is, don't, we cannot put aside nuclear energy. So, um, no, I'm I sorry. Wanna, I, I wanted to um, just break in for one second. We're sure. about to take our last break, but Martin, we have a caller. I would like to um, hear the question, if that's okay with you. Well, why not? <laughs> sure, right? give it a shot. We'll have okay. it a shot when when we come back. Um, okay, so so his name is Peter, and he's on the line. Oh, he's okay, a big excellent. fan of the book. Okay, excellent. So, Peter, um, first off, um, welcome to Corporate Talk with Charlie Please. and Eva, and uh, our wonderful, uh, intelligent genius, Martin Shapiro. <laughs> uh, what is on your mind? Well, I, I thank you for accommodating me. Uh, I've never done this sort of a thing. But um, I would ask Mr. Shapiro first as, a, as an observation followed by a question. I was intrigued by some of your described solutions of what even now appear as America's challenges. In one, one in particular was the sale to Canada of a 50% share in Alaska. Mm-hmm. I accept the idea simply as good literary fiction, and I would suggest that perhaps the concept was well developed. And I suggest the concept was well developed. Mm-hmm. Perhaps the idea bears some analogy to the European Union 
the evolution of the euro, the resulting blur of blurring of borders, and perhaps even the blurring of sovereignty of those particular nations. Am I? I'm not a financial expert. I have no idea of the of the plausibility of such a transaction. Can you expound on the idea? Um, can, can I interrupt for one second? And Martin, I'm going to cheat for you, right? <laughs> and I'm going to ask Peter, of course, please stay on the line. And Martin, we're going to take our last break, which we have to do. And maybe during the break, you can think about the question a little more for one. Yeah, I, I need to compose an answer. That was Excellent. pretty. Uh, that was. I know, Peter. That was good. Are you okay to stay with us? Sure. Thank you. Excellent. I'm, okay. I, I stay with perfect. us. Uh, Martin Shapiro is uh, lighting the world up today. We will be right back. Let Charlie Labosco show you how to revolutionize your presence in the workplace. Charlie is looking to improve the workplace, and by that he means your relevance in it. Charlie has over 40 years in the corporate workplace. He has seen the unbelievable, mind-boggling, off-the-charts changes in technology, but no real change in our day-to-day and sometimes toxic workplace behavior. Charlie's mission is to revolutionize the workplace by providing the training and the tools needed to lead any organization regardless of your job description. For more about Charlie and how to be a part of the workplace improvement revolution, visit charliespeaking.com. That's charliespeaking.com. Welcome back to Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva on TalkZone.com. Wow, thanks for staying with us, everyone. This is Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva, and we are here today with Martin Shapiro. He's the author of the book 2039, and you can get the book exclusively on Amazon. You can also reach out to Martin at mshapiro2039 at AOL.com. You can also read more of his um articles and posts on Huffington Post. You just search on his name and you'll find it. And we also have a caller. Peter is on the line. And Peter, if you could do us a favor and just kind of quickly summarize your question one more time, and then we'll let um, Martin go ahead and try and answer it. Well, I I guess I've never been real good at um, uh, at summary or, uh, or brief <laughs> words. That's good. But uh, the notion of of Canada investing for a 50% share in Alaska in order to facilitate our payment, our payment of our debt to uh, to China is a fascinating one. But not okay. being a financial expert, I have no way of no of having any idea or making any judgment whether there's any plausibility in this or is this. Strictly intended, and I would I accept it if it is. Is it strictly intended as good, interesting fiction? Martin, Peter, I think the latter is the most accurate. Um, you know, earlier as I described the acquisition of the defense industry, the acquisition of the healthcare industry, and of course, uh, we didn't talk about, but they also, the government also acquired all the too big to fail banks so that the Treasury Department now had all the information on everybody 
And as a consequence, so here we are in 2023, and our total debt is now close to $30 trillion. And we owing, you know, again, I made some very rational extrapolations. And then, of course, I had to make a few uh, <laughs> outrageous ones. Yeah, no, that's... So this but, is one of the out. This is one of the outrageous ones. Um, to All Peter's right? point, yeah. right? And I, and I want to just thank Peter for his call. Yes, and, thank okay. you so much, uh, Peter. Join us anytime. But to Peter's point, Martin, um, yeah. he is well, one let, of let me, the uh, Charlie. Let me let me finish a quick explanation. Okay, so, go ahead. So at that particular time. We owed China four trillion or more dollars, and China says, "Okay, pay up." And they so they know we can't pay, so they say, "All right, this is my story. Sell us Alaska. We'll give you seven trillion dollars for Alaska. You owe us four, so we'll give you three more. We take Alaska." I and, get you it. Know, okay. That that you know, shakes the, the, to the soul Canadians and Americans. And so the United States goes to America and say, listen, how can you help us out? You know, we don't want China on our continent. And, of course, in my corporate career, I made four or five acquisitions. I'm not a Donald Trump, but, you know, we, you have to sort things out and decide, hey, why do you want to buy it? Why do they want to sell it? All that sort of stuff. And so I sort of go through it, and that's one of my more outrageous things. And uh, the solution is that we sell Canada 50% of, well, first of all, we get Goldman Sachs and all the agencies to do a uh, a an appraisal of Alaska. We have to get a, we have to get a, um, uh, a, a plebiscite, a, re- a, a resolution, uh, you know, of Americans and Alaskans to want to be able to do it. And Canada comes up with like $4 trillion for half of it. And we have an, an, a working arrangement where Alaskans become dual citizens. And Alaska does it, one, to preserve it as North American territory, and they also want access to the energy and to the coast and to the fishing. So there, you know, that's that's so, uh, a uh, okay. idea. I love it, uh, Martin. Uh, it's riveting. You no, know, what I love is that, I mean, Martin, you've put so much thought into this book, and it's really just such a great way to just think about a different way of looking at things. Yeah. And, you know, but, I mean, you know, there's just so much thought and research put into it. I want to just go back for one second. We have about, what, four or five minutes left. To Peter's point, because um, it's like me, right? I have questions just like that, right? It was, a, it was a valid question to ask, and your answer explained it. And, um, I, okay, you, you, you kind of brushed it off as the latter, more, you know, story type about the book. But um, but there's research. There's research around it. And so every one of the listeners, everybody who reads this book is going to have questions like that. Well, the, you <laughs> know, the book says it, it's not such an outrageous idea. After all, we right. bought, we bought uh, Alaska from Russia. 
Yeah. We paid $9 million in, uh, <laughs> it was called Seward's Folly. I think the Secretary of State was uh, Seward, S-E-W-A-R-D. Yeah. And it was called Seward's Folly because he laid out $9 million in 1864. I think we're in the middle of the, or just after, maybe 67, right after the Civil War. So, you know, that had been bought and sold. We had bought it, so why no, might the, we not the... sell it? The research. I want to tell, can I go, we just do, let's talk about drones for a minute. I solved the drone problem. <laughs> We've got like two had, minutes, Martin, so go ahead. Okay. We've had, well, it's very quick, and it happens in the first chapter. You know, we've got the drones. We've got Pizza Hut uh, competing with Domino's, and we've got uh, ice cream places, com- friendlies completing with uh, uh you know, the guys oh, no. from Vermont, and, and these things, uh, they have different devices so that they don't crash into each other, but when three or four of them want to get in the same space at the same time, mm-hmm. somebody is going to get hurt. And that's going to happen. So, going to happen. Okay, and so, you know, after a couple of years of this BS, the FAA says, okay, stop, no more private drones. We're giving all the drone space to the United States Post Office. Mm. The USPS gets title to all these space up to 400 feet, and if Amazon wants to send a package, if uh, Domino's wants to send a pizza, they got to do it through the post office. So I save the post office. <laughs> I, I, I give them... <laughs> There's still time for you to get to Iowa, Martin. (laughs) There's still time for you to get to Iowa. (laughs) Yeah, that's one. And, um, you know, like like retirement. Let me just quickly say something on retirement. Well, Martin, I hate to stop you because there's so much more to talk about, but we really are out of time. But thank you because this was so interesting. (laughs) And we do want to hear about retirement. And we'll figure out a way to get you back. Um, because yeah, because there's a lot more to talk about because I, we didn't even touch on the war on drugs, which I wanted to get to. You're so there. interesting. I don't know where the words come from. I don't know where the research comes from. It's phenomenal. 2039. Um, Charlie, Charlie, it's mostly common sense and imagination. But there's a lot of intelligence, Mr. Harvard Business. In research, yes. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you. Listen, Excellent. Flattery yes. will get you everywhere. <laughs> uh, it was hesitate. a pleasure. Flattery will and, get you everywhere. <laughs> and we will promote this as best we can and stay in touch for sure. It was nice uh, speaking with Mark. Thank you so much, Have Martin. a great it's been rest great. of the day. My pleasure. My pleasure. And I hope to do this again with you sometime. Excellent. It would be great. That was really fun. Uh, it's and a little thank scary. thank you to Peter for calling in with this question, Yeah, thanks, too. Peter, because it was kind of like in line with what I'm thinking, right? Where did this idea come from in uh, great work? And so, again, um, you can read more about Martin Shapiro on Huffington Post, and you can reach out to him at mshapiro2039 at AOL.com, and you can get the book on Amazon. So another great show. Yep, thank you so when, much, Charles. Thank you, E. And thank you to our producer, Dave Olson. Have a great week. This is Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva. Mm. Thank mm-hmm. you.